0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.
1: Amazing grace.
0: How sweet the sound.
1: That saved.
0: An alcoholic. Failure. Agnostic. Partier. Liar. Drug addict. A wretch. Like me.
1: I once was... Broken.
0: Resentful. Helpless.
1: Depressed. Out of control. Abandoned.
0: Selfish. Self-destructive. Angry. Confused. Just... Lost. But now... I'm sober, happy, peaceful, grateful,
1: free, alive,
0: forgiven. I'm found. I was blind to God,
1: to faith, to love. Pero ahora, yo veo. I see that I matter. I see past my problems. I see my Savior. I see grace. Amazing grace.
0: 'Twas grace that taught. You're here. Want to welcome you to Liquid Church? I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, if you're new, uh, Liquid is one church, but we meet in multiple locations. So right now, we have people who are joining us in New Brunswick and Nutley, Mountainside, and watch this. In a few weeks, Somerset County. Would you welcome our brothers and sisters? Glad you guys are with us today. Praise God for you. We uh, we have a vision to saturate our state with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, uh, and word is kind of getting out. Um, over the summer, I had to go to the division of motor vehicles to like, renew some papers or something. It was so funny because you know, every time you go to the DMV, it's a little bit like, okay, purgatory exists. Uh, you know, and It was funny because I can't remember what I was renewing, but the woman slips the papers underneath like the window and says, okay, would you sign this? And then she hands me a pen. This is the pen that she handed me, the liquid church pen. You've got this on your seat, click this, right? Yeah, so she hands me the pen, and I look at this, and I'm like, oh. I go, Liquid Church, uh, what's that? And, uh, and she, goes, she goes, I don't know, it's some crazy church that my coworker keeps inviting me to. She's like, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come, you know? And she gave me this pen, you know? And so I'm like, oh, okay. And, you know, I go, oh, faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. She's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I go, any idea what it's like? Like, you know, who goes there? And she lowers her voice, and she says, I'm not sure, but I heard they'll take anybody. <laughs> That was like the nicest compliment anybody's ever given our church, you know, because that's what grace means. It's the unconditional acceptance and embrace, no strings attached, no judgment, and I'm just so proud of your reputation. We'll take anybody, right? No matter where you've been or what you've done, you are welcome at this church. You're embraced by God. Uh, at Liquid, we don't do guilt. We do grace. And grace really is amazing. It'll change your life. It will transform your relationships if you let it. And that's why I want to kind of kick off the fall with this brand new series, Faces of Grace, to give you a real-life picture, kind of a snapshot of the radical grace of God that we'll see in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. What we're going to do is go back to the Gospels, and I want you to have this kind of radically fresh encounter with the scandalous grace and mercy that God has for people you just typically wouldn't expect to see in church. Because Jesus loved to reach out and minister to those on the margins, people who had like kind of a questionable reputation, you know? Sinners, tax collectors, even the lady at the DMV. That's how wide his grace is, okay? So you can turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John if you want to flip there. That's where we're going to camp out this week. John was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he opens his gospel. The gospel is just an eyewitness account of Jesus' life with these words. It says this, Jesus came from the Father full of, let's say these words together out loud, ready? Full of grace and truth. Now, if you've been around Liquid long enough, you know this is one of the places we get our core values from as a church. At Liquid, we have three core values, these kind of fundamental beliefs that guide our ministry, and the first is this, grace wins. Have you seen this on t-shirts? It's all about that grace, about that grace. No judgment. You know that one? That's kind of our, it just means we'll accept anybody, right? So if you're here and you don't even come from a religious background or you stumbled in by chance, man, you're welcome here. Maybe you grew up in church and you got burned out, uh, you know, on religion. You walked away for a time and you're just kind of taking steps back. That is awesome. You are welcome here, warts and all. This, this church is really, it's full of imperfect people. We're just learning to follow Jesus and walk in grace. So and if this is your first time in church, by the way and you think you're surrounded by perfect people, you, you need to know this. Right now, you are sitting next to some of the biggest sinners in the state, okay? So hold on to your wallet, all right? You want to tuck your person a little bit extra close. We're the perfect church for imperfect people. We like to say grace wins, but this, truth is relevant. While we'll accept anybody, even those who are hostile to Christianity, we have a very high view of the Bible as God's word, and so we'll never compromise that. God's word is our guidebook for ministry, and we actually believe it's relevant to every area of life in the 21st century, whether it's your marriage, relationship, job, finances. The goal is to find Jesus in its pages and follow him because he's the truth. He's the way, he's the life. Grace wins, truth is relevant. And you remember the third? Church is fun. Fun's just another word for joy. People are always like, where do you get fun from? It's just another way to say joy. We really believe. Like when God's grace and his truth touch down in a person's life, it is a thrill. And so we celebrate whenever somebody who's lost embraces Jesus is adopted into the family of God. You know what the Bible says happens? It says that heaven throws a party. The angels actually rejoice. So we think Christians should be good at throwing parties. So at liquid, having parties, that's like a core competency of our ministry, okay? Grace wins. Truth is relevant. Church is fun. Notice these first two core values come directly from the scripture, from what you're holding in your hands, the description that John gives of Jesus Christ in the first chapter of his gospel. Jesus came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. But what exactly is grace? Because if you hang around the church enough, you hear the word a lot, right? You hear, well, we sing amazing grace. It's before a meal, we say grace is a family. But why is this good news? Listen, grace is the great distinctive of the Christian faith. It is the one thing that sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. And grace is the one thing that our broken world cannot duplicate, but really craves the most. It is this unmerited, unearned, unconditional, one way love of God. Every other relationship in your life is two way, right? You do this for me. I'll do this for you. You, you know, you're nice to me and I'll accept you. Grace is not based on that. It is not based on your performance, your effort, or your achievement. It is not a two way street. It is a one way love from God aimed at you that comes with no strings attached. And it comes first to broken people. See, the Bible, this book you hold in your hands, it is not a story about God blessing the good people, God blessing the church people. In fact, it's a record of God blessing the bad, ordinary sinners when we least expect it and need it most. That's why we call it good news, amen? Here's what's strange. If you watch the world today, especially the media, and you ask nonbelievers to describe Christians, what you hear most are words like, they're arrogant, self-righteous, judgmental, And if you watch television and watch the media, a lot of times Christians do come across as superior, not gracious, critical of others' beliefs while defensive about our own. And that to me is a shame, you know, because it's changing the view of people of what Christianity and what grace really is. Uh, Comedian Kathy Ladman, she summed up the view of the world very well. She says, all religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays, (laughs) right? That's how a lot lot of people think, particularly millennials. And that's a shame. Because we believe at Liquid that the church should be the most authentic place in the universe. We have the greatest, most liberating message in the world that a guilt-free relationship with God is available, not through religious effort, but just as this free gift of grace offered to God by God, no strings attached. So this is the one place where the broken and misfits who've kind of messed up can be accepted by God. We're all faces of grace. And Jesus says, if you're my follower, here's what your job is. It's to dispense my grace to a thirsty world. But how do you do that? How do you communicate good news to a world that kind of seems to be running for it? Jesus is going to show us the way today. In Faces of Grace, I want to look at these one-on-one encounters that Jesus had with questionable people who were hard to love. Do you have anybody in your life who's hard to love? Anybody have a hard to love person in their life? Okay, great. Thank you for raising your hand. Do not point to them. That's not, she's sitting right here. (laughs) That's not gracious. Um, Jesus has these encounters, a wayward woman, a cheating businessman, people you'd never would assume, they're never going to come to Jesus. And so my question is this, how does Jesus extend radical grace to ordinary sinners without compromising God's truth? Let's look here at John chapter four to see what makes grace so amazing. And I want to read this story to you from the message translation of the Bible, very contemporary, um, because you may be familiar with the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. But I think this version is going to give you a fresh perspective, hopefully stimulate kind of a grace awakening. We don't need a grace awakening. We need grace awakening in our church. You need grace awakening in your family. You need, a, you need grace at school. How do you show grace to people who are hard to love? Let's learn from Jesus in John 4. Here's what it reads. Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. And to get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, Jacob's well was still there. And Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. And Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? Pause there. Simple enough request, right? Jesus is walking through Samaria. This is just an ancient city in Israel. It's, it's the Middle East. It's hot. It's 12 noon. hottest part of the day. And so Jesus is tired. He's thirsty, and he sits down by this well. There's no one else around except for her, the Samaritan woman. And he has a very simple request. He says, hey, can I have a drink of water? Would that be possible? Can I, I'm, I'm thirsty. Now, the Samaritan woman was taken aback, and she asked, how can you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And then John puts this footnote so you understand. Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. So you got to understand how unusual this request was. Because in Jesus' day, the Samaritans lived down the road from the Jews. They were like cousins, but they couldn't get along. The Samaritans were heretics in the eyes of the Jews. They were like estranged family members, and they nursed grudges. They called the names. They said, you're a heretic. You're a half-breed. Those people don't believe what we believe. In fact, if you really wanted to insult a Jew in Jesus' day, you would call him the S-word. What are you? A Samaritan? It was a racial slur. It was politically incorrect. It was like the N-word. It was highly offensive. In fact, when the Pharisees wanted to insult Jesus, they actually they said, what are you, a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Another time, he's walking with his disciples through a village, and, uh, and they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? and fry the Samaritans, and he's like, we're going to have to work on this grace thing. No, that's not, that's not the idea. See, Jews and Samaritans were natural enemies, and the reality is, modern Christians today, we often do that with folks who we view as hostile to our faith, people who don't believe what we believe. I think a lot of Christians today look at secular folks, and they like to point the finger, and they say, oh, it's them, it's the liberals, it's the secular elite, it's the atheists. They're the ones who took prayer out of schools. They're the ones who banned religious displays at Christmas. They redefined marriage. They're legalizing abortion. Now they're pushing for assisted suicide. And what happens is both groups dig this trench, the secular and Christian, and we separate ourselves. And we point the finger, and there's not a lot of dialogue. I mean, have you ever watched cable news, right? What happens on cable news? They'll take an evangelical leader, and then like the LGBTQ spokesperson... And they'll say, can we have a conversation? There's no conversation. They're just yelling on top of each other, and nobody ever converts. They just dig in their heels deeper, and they're preaching to the choir with more ammo. See, as modern Christians, we've inherited, in many ways, a toxic culture war mentality that carved this deep divide between us and those people who are ungodly, far from our faith. And yet, what's Jesus do? He journeys straight through Samaria and steps over this ethnic, religious, political divide, and he sits down and he builds a bridge with this woman. He's like, hey, can I have a drink? The Samaritan woman, taken aback, says, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. And I would give you what? Fresh living water. Jesus says, actually... I have water of my own. Want to taste? It's clear. It's refreshing. I think you'd enjoy it. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw water with, and this well's deep, so how are you going to get this living water? Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well, drank from it, he and his sons his livestock, and passed it down to us? And Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. But anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty. I won't ever have to come back to this well again. Or in other words, the woman's like, well, oh, okay, <laughs> this isn't going to make me, you know, this isn't going to quench my thirst. This sounds pretty good. What, do you Poland Spring, uh, Aquafina? You know, Fiji, this sounds pretty good. Give me some of that. Now, brace yourself for an awkward moment. (laughs) Jesus said, go call your husband and then come back. Oh, I I have no husband, uh, she said. Well, that's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands, (laughs) and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. (laughs) Awkward! right? You sense the tension, right? I'll have some water. I'll go call your husband. I don't have a husband. Oh, that's right. You've had five. (laughs) Ah, Tension. In other words, Jesus is like, hey, before you taste my grace, can we talk about your truth? Can we have an honest conversation about what's actually going on in your life? See, Jesus was tired and thirsty, but so was the woman. She'd been married five times and was on affair number six. Folks, this is enough to make a Kardashian blush, okay? <laughs> Listen, five-time failure. I mean, right, I mean, you know, we never condemn anybody who goes through a divorce. We welcome them in our church. But most people understand, right, if a first marriage breaks up, people have some sort of justification. They say, well, you know, we got married young, or maybe you understand a second. But five failed marriages, and now your sixth affair? You know, we don't know the, the woman's name here in the scripture. Maybe it was Ashley Madison. I, you know, I don't know. The point is... The Samaritan woman is sort of a hot mess, okay? Her personal life was kind of a moral train wreck, and she had no justification for it, which tells us something critical about God's grace. If you're taking notes, this is grace note number one. Grace always flows to unlikely people. Like water, it flows to the lowest point. Natural enemies, moral failures. By rights, Jesus should not even have been talking with this woman, She had three strikes against her. First, she's a Samaritan. Secondly, she's female. This is the first century, patriarchal culture. Women were seen as second-class citizens. And then third, she's the serial adulterer. But you see, listen, listen. The Bible is not the story of God gravitating towards the good people, going towards the perfect church people. Rather, it's the story of God blessing the bad, the ones who've blown that. Let me repeat this. The Bible you're holding is not the story of the best religious people making their way up to God. It is a witness to God coming down and offering grace to the worst of us. The heroes of the Bible, like the, the Samaritan woman, they fail again and again and again. They make huge mistakes. They're selfish. They're unreliable. And they're actually, at a deep heart level, ashamed of what's going on in their life. You may be like, well, how do you know she was ashamed? Watch. Watch. What time was it? What time was it that they're sitting at this well? What time? 12 noon. How'd you know that? John wrote it down. You ever wonder why John wrote that down? Think about this. The Middle East. What time do you think people typically draw water? Yeah. Morning or night when the sun is just coming up or it's just going down. The coolest part of the day, that's when people went to the well. Nobody goes to the well at 12 noon when the sun is directly overhead beating down. No one goes to the well then, and that was the point. The woman is trying to avoid people. She doesn't want to be seen by her neighbors. She grew up in a small village. Anybody else grow up in a small town? Everybody knows your business, right? Everybody knows her story. She had this reputation. And in a patriarchal culture, let me tell you, there would have been kind of a first century kind of, you know, slut-shaming. There she is, the Samaritan Kardashian, you know? So capture this. This woman carried a bucket load of pain, a bucket load of loneliness, of rejection. In many ways, there was a hole in her bucket, wasn't there? She was trying to fill this over and over again with relationship after relationship, which is why she goes to the well when no one else is around except for Jesus, (laughs) who's waiting for her and says, hey, I see you're thirsty. Would you like some living water? Grace note number two. Grace always treats broken people like thirsty people. So many times when you meet someone in your life who's hard to love, you've got that hard to love person, someone who's making destructive choices, and you see them, you're like, why are they doing that? Or they're offensive the way they kind of approach you. We fixate on their behavior, you know? When you have that hard to love person, you're like, why are they doing that? I don't understand, we're ready to judge them. Think about this. Maybe you're a parent, and you have you know, kids who are living a lifestyle that you don't approve of, Right? They come home from college and now, like, these, have this whole other idea about it. And it's hard to give them grace. Or maybe you've been on the other end of a breakup. Your partner betrayed or wronged you. Or you have someone at work, a coworker, who criticizes your faith. Oh, you're one of the Jesus freaks, you know. Or they're very vocal about causes that they support that, that are pretty repulsive to you. Grace is very hard to give them, and it's much easier to judge, isn't it? But notice, Jesus doesn't judge the woman, <laughs> He doesn't actually lecture her about the reckless lifestyle. You are making a mockery of traditional marriage, young woman. (laughs) Rather, he takes the time to listen, sit down, lean in, and he says, hey, let's grab a drink together. And then he goes straight for her heart to the deeper thirst that's driving her behavior. I see you're lonely. I see you're in pain. I see that men have been very unreliable in your life. But I want you to know I'm here for you. I embrace you, I accept you exactly as you are, and I will never leave you, never forsake you. I see you're thirsty, but you're drawing water from the wrong well. You got a hole in your bucket. See, grace always treats broken people like thirsty people. It reminds me of Henry Nowen, a Catholic priest um, who returned from San Francisco Nowen spent a week visiting an AIDS clinic there, um, you know, just visiting patients who were on the precipice of dying a very agonizing death. This was the days before antiretroviral drugs. And and said, you know, I'm a priest, and part of my job is just to listen to people's stories. And Nowen describes how he went up and down the ward asking patients, most of them young men, if they wanted to talk. And Nowen said his prayers fundamentally changed that week. As he listened to story after story, of promiscuity, addiction, and self-destructive behavior. He said, I heard hints of a thirst for love that had never been quenched. And from then on, here's what he prayed. Now i prayed, God help me to see others not as my enemies or as ungodly, but rather as what? Thirsty people. And give me the courage and compassion to offer your living water, which alone quenches the deepest thirst. Can I ask, who are the thirsty people in your life who need grace the most? Who maybe are making destructive choices that are pretty repulsive to you. Or perhaps they're hostile to your beliefs. Or they're living a lifestyle that flies in the face of your Christian convictions. But God says, I am calling you to offer the living water of my amazing grace. I can think of a couple people in in my life, just kind of in the orbit of our family. Um, One is a a family friend who their daughter came home from college. And she says, I'm just announcing it. I'm now LGBTQ, and the father goes, I didn't remember what they all stood for. I said, which letter of those are you? And she said, I'm bisexual. And she drops this bomb, and they got younger kids, and it's like earmuffs moment, but she's trying to put it in their face. And she said, I don't know what to do at that moment, and how do we show grace? Because I can sense she's testing us. Will we still accept and love our daughter unconditionally when she kind of comes in our face with this? But how do we also have truth that this is what we believe, and this is our what do you do? Difficult situation. The other is a um, friend of mine who's a successful salesman, lives out of state, um, but he's uh, he's one of the finest dressers I've ever seen. If you saw him, you'd be like, man, that guy, he smells like success. Uh, He dresses fine. He drives fine automobiles. He has a couple of luxury cars, but nobody knows that he's always on the verge of bankruptcy. He's like totally financially reckless. He makes these spending choices. I'm like, why do you do this, dude? He overspends on cars, clothes, homes. Nobody knows he never graduated high school. And his deepest desire is to be seen as successful. And he thinks accomplishment and achievement is going to finally get him the approval and the acceptance that he craves. And so he makes these disastrous financial choices to, to chase it. And on the surface, it's very off-putting. It's like, dude, what is he do? You deserve this, man. Just stop buying Lexuses. You just shake your head. When you encounter hard-to-love people in your life who are making poor choices or saying things that offend your faith, don't rush to judgment. Instead, pray, Lord, can you help me see them not as ungodly but rather as thirsty? and Give me the courage and compassion to offer your living water, which alone quenches their deeper thirst. Notice that Jesus does not judge her troubled history of five failed marriages. Instead, he goes to that deeper thirst that's motivating her. And he says, everybody who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them, this will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Guys, Jesus is giving us a model for how to relate to broken people in our lives who are hard to love. Your job is not to condemn the choices they've made. That doesn't communicate grace. Instead, it's to tune into the underlying thirst. What if we saw prickly people not as problems to solve or even pagans to convert, but thirsty people who are dying for a shot of grace in a love-starved world? The Amish have a saying, an enemy is just somebody whose story we haven't heard yet. In other words, when you take the time to look under the hood of that surface brokenness, to this deeper thirst that's driving this behavior, that's where you find compassion. That's where you find empathy. It's where you discover grace. And only grace, love, without strings, can redeem and rescue us from our slavery to sin. How does this living water work? Let let me show you this. I'm glad you asked. Let Let me kind of demonstrate this. If this is you, this is you, and this is Christ, there's only one problem. The Bible says sin is separating us from a relationship with God. Does that make sense? The Bible says that Christ was sinless. God the Father is holy. Sin can't dwell in His presence. And that's why we are separated from God. In many ways, sin contaminates you. Even just the little drop taints your whole life, doesn't it? Think about it, right? Every single one of us in this room, okay? The best person here, the Bible says, no one is righteous, not even one. That includes your pastor, okay? If me being accepted by God was like based on my good works or being a moral person, I'm screwed, okay? God is not impressed by my good works and my moral living. Why? Because in comparison to Christ's Righteousness. Even our best works are tainted by impure motives, aren't they? Right? Sin is not. See, sin is not just an action; it's an attitude. Even if you haven't like sinned in externally spectacular ways, like the Samaritan woman, you judge others. You're like some of you. Are even like, now, you're like, well, at least I'm not as bad as her. That's called self-righteousness, right? It's pride. It's the worst sin of all. It's the mother of all sins. Sin contaminates everything and everyone. That's why we're separated from God. And spiritually, we die unless God does something about this problem. This is why Jesus Christ came. As God's sinless son, he lived the only perfect life in the history of humanity, perfect in both action and attitude. He dies on the cross as our substitute. He dies the death you and I deserve. And when we trust him as our Savior, what happens? He comes into our life and what? He says, I'm going to wash you completely clean. I am canceling your past so that you have a future. Your debt before God is gone. And now, when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ inside of you. All your faults, all your failures washed clean. Our heart and our conscience are cleansed. Our debt before God is canceled. Instead of guilt, we get grace. That's the living water. Isn't that cool? Jesus says, Whoever drinks, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus dies the death we deserve so we can live the life that he lived. Living water purifies, living water cleanses, but that's not all. You know what else the Bible says happened on the cross? Jesus didn't just take your sin. He took the sin of the entire world on him. And he canceled its power forever. And now there is no judgment left for you. In God's eyes, you are perfect. That is how God sees you. You are justified in God's eyes. What does justification mean? It means there's no justification for our behavior. But now God sees you just as if you never sinned. He sees you just as if you always obeyed. He treats you the way that he sees Jesus Christ. Christ's grace is greater than all of your sin. Amen? That's a picture of the Christian life. It doesn't matter what your past is. Christ says, I can free you from guilt, shame, fear, this performance mentality. You don't have to justify your shortcomings. Sin no longer has power over you. You have a spirit-filled life, pure and holy in my sight. That's what makes grace so amazing. That's the good news. As you heard last week, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. Amen? That's the gospel. That's why we're bananas about Jesus. (laughs) The gospel is the story of God coming down to us and saying, I'm going to overcome your sin with my salvation, your guilt with my grace. Our badness is literally absorbed by Christ's goodness. Look, I don't know what brought you here today. You may be like, it's my first time. I don't know if I'm good enough to be a Christian. You're right. (laughs) None of us are. Thank God for grace. This is the living water that every human being thirsts for, this unconditional acceptance, forgiveness, and embrace from the Father God who created you. Just ask Mike Ebeling. I know we showed Mike's story at some of our campuses, but I wanted our whole church to hear it. Because for most of his life, Mike was a very thirsty man drawing water from many different wells until he came to Liquid Church and he got a taste of grace on tap.
1: Hi, my name is Michael Ebeling, and this is my But God story. When I grew up, I really knew that who I was at a very early age. I knew that I was gay. I was somewhat of a lonely person. I was out every night and, uh, and just partying, drinking. Uh, unfortunately, drugs became part of the, the issue. And uh, that's when I, I lost so many friends to AIDS. And that's when I started, realizing what am I doing with myself you know I started questioning where I was and who I was and I became celibate and I have not been with another human being since the early 1990s probably about three four years ago that's when I started thinking about God and uh, trying to figure out where was going in 2014 someone moved into my apartment complex as a superintendent and uh, we became friends and I got an invite to come to Liquid Mountainside and on Christmas Eve and I did. And the moment (sighs) the moment I walked through those doors was the best thing that ever happened to me. Been coming here ever since. God's opened up so many different avenues for me, uh, uh, serving here and serving the community, outreach programs, everything. It just did something when I walked through the doors. I, I felt it deep inside my chest, and I just felt welcomed. I decided to get baptized because I was feeling so good about myself. I was feeling good about my faith in God and Jesus. and I felt like a totally different person when I came out of that water. Um, I, I, I felt I was free. I find I, I, it's overwhelming to believe that what Jesus did is forgiving me of what my past was. There's been so many changes in, in what I do. Um, I, 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 people even ask me, what have you done?" and i bring up Liquid Church and they said, the church is really responsible for what's going on in your life and you know, it is. And my nieces and nephews used to call me Uncle Grumpy. They no longer call me Uncle Grumpy. That's gone away. I've become a totally different person than who I used to be. I used to define myself as being gay, a homosexual, but God entered my life and now I find myself as a child of God. Incredible.
0: Can we hear from Mike? I mean, that's incredible. Mike is a trophy of God's grace. I am so proud to call him a brother in Christ. Because of Christ, he has this brand new identity, child of God. See, see, grace fills empty lives. That's why we call our church liquid. You ever wonder that? Liquid is just another name for the living water of grace. And our vision is to saturate our entire state with this incredible gospel, the good news of God's grace through Jesus Christ. We want grace-filled environments where people can just come to this church and they can be honest. They can actually come clean about the, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the hurts, the fears, the hang ups and just experience this radical love and mercy of Jesus, who is the one who's sitting at the well saying, Hey, are you thirsty? I got something. <laughs> it's called grace, and it never runs out. There's enough for everyone. Belly up to the bar. It's on tap. (laughs) I love how this this passage ends. What is the Samaritan woman's reaction to Jesus' grace? Look at this. Then leaving her water jar. Don't miss this. The very symbol of her sin and her shame. She leaves it behind. Christ's love has set her free. Then leaving her water jar, the woman said, went back to the town, and she said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, he knows everything, and he loves and he accepts me as I am. Could this be the Messiah, the Savior? And watch what happens. They came out of the town, and they made their way towards who? Jesus. Isn't that cool? Grace not only fills empty lives, it spills over onto others. She sees who Jesus is, what grace is like, and she tells everyone about it, the people she was working hard to avoid. She goes, oh no. She goes right to them. She has no fear of rejection. She has no shame of failure. She's like, if Christ knows everything I ever did and he doesn't condemn me, what do I have to be afraid of? In Christ, I'm a new creation. I'm not defined by my past. I got a future. God's spirit sets her free and her testimony ripples out. Look how her story ends. It says this in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town, what happened? Believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged Jesus to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. In other words, look, she's like, guys, you got to hear about this. This is incredible. This guy, he loves me. He's forgiven me. You got to have some of this, man. You got to belly up. Want some? She's like drunk on grace. Grace. <laughs> She's like, if God doesn't condemn me, nobody condemns me. I'm accepted by God. I am loved forever. I'm safe in the Savior's arms, and it ripples out. Look what it says. It says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man, Jesus, really is who? The Savior of the world. Amen? When God's grace touches your life, it has a spillover effect. Grace overflows the bank. It's like a spring of living water. And this woman starts a revival. She started a revival in Samaria. I want you to think about this. Jesus chose Ashley Madison as his first missionary. (laughs) Even more shocking, you know who Jesus made the hero of his most famous parable? To this day, when somebody does something grace-filled or merciful towards someone who's hurting or needs help, we call him or her a good Samaritan. That's the power of grace. Grace always flows to unlikely people. It flows to the lowest point. When you blow it is exactly when you need it most. And grace always treats broken people like thirsty people. It looks beyond the surface behavior to this deeper thirst for love and acceptance we all have. And grace fills empty lives. And it spills onto others. So can I ask this? Do you have a thirsty person in your life who needs grace this week? Give it to them. In your family, in your work, your school. Someone who may be making choices that are destructive. They're holding positions you don't approve of, but really they have this deeper thirst and they're just looking, will someone accept, will someone embrace me unconditionally? Give them grace. Secondly, do you need grace today? Anybody here in need of grace today? Yeah. I hope so. If you don't feel that thirst, beware. That's one of the challenges of growing up in the church. Christians who've been in church a long time are in danger of overfamiliarity with grace. Oh, we sing amazing grace. Let's say grace before lunch. But understand, no, no, no. As Doug Wilson writes, grace is wild. Grace unsettles everything. Grace overflows the banks. Grace messes up your hair. Grace is not tame. In fact, unless we are making the devout nervous, we are not preaching grace as we ought. Amen? My hope, guys, my prayer for my life, for your life, for the life of our church is that we can talk about the miracle of God's grace from now until Jesus comes back, and it never loses its power. It never becomes dull through familiarity. Far from claiming to have it all together, guys, real Christians regularly confess we do not. After all, when the Pharisees complained that Jesus was you know, eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, what did he say? He said, hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but Who? Sinners. At Liquid, we believe this church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners like me. And you, and you, and you. God's grace is for everyone in this room. Jesus is not looking for church people who are perfect. He accepts anybody with a past. Anyone? Anyone. Sexual past? Anyone. Recently divorced? Anyone. Alcoholic? Addict? Anyone. Backslidden believer? Anyone skeptical agnostic anyone hypocritical preacher anybody anyone means everyone and all you have to admit is your thirst and receive christ's amazing grace amen let's bow our heads praise god let's bow our heads right now god we come to you god that we can walk into your presence now and speak to you father god we have an honest moment of confession in our hearts father these are your people Some of us have not thought rightly about you. We had no idea that you were not furious and angry with us, that you have drawn close to us in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we now draw close to you. I want to clear a 60 seconds here just for silent prayer. Let this be a holy moment between you and Jesus, just you and him sitting at the well. If you need forgiveness, just ask for it. Jesus will forgive any sin except the ones we don't confess. He offers grace, but he wants the truth. Maybe you're just realizing how proud and complacent you've become in your faith. Tell God what he already knows about you. Father, hear our prayers right now. We're lifting them up to you. Come and cleanse us on the inside, Father. As we receive communion, Father, from the inside out, cleanse and purify us. God, thank you for the promise in your word. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just, and you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every unrighteous act. We receive that, God, in full assurance of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together, amen.